This is the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Chris Lambert, And I'm Josh Havens. Have you ever come out of a worship service and thought, man, I really just didn't get anything out of that. That wasn't really a good worship service. Well, have you ever stopped to think, well, what actually makes a good worship service? In this chapter with Dr. DeGarmo, we ask the question, what makes worship successful? David DeGarmo has served as the provost of Global University since June of 2016. Previously, he served as the dean of the Graduate School of Theology and associate dean of the Graduate School of Theology at Global University as well. He's an experienced educator, and he's served other institutions as an instructor, chief academic officer, and president or CEO. In the past, David has spent 14 years as a lead pastor. He's also served for seven years as a minister of music and a worship leader. He has a deep interest in the topic of worship and a desire to lead the church in authentic worship, and it's really been the theme of his entire ministry. David earned the Bachelor of Music from Evangel University and the Master of Divinity from Northern Baptist Theological Seminary. He finally ended up with his Doctor of Ministry from the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary. The topic of his doctoral project was leading the Pentecostal worship service. David also enjoys reading and sports. He's married to his wife, Ruth, and they have two grown daughters, both of them accomplished musicians. And in the last chapter, we ended talking about the relationship between emotions and worship. And we talked about that our emotional experience isn't necessary in order to have a good or successful worship service. So in this chapter, I wanted to dive a little bit deeper and ask Dr. DeGarmo, what makes a successful worship service? And his answer might surprise you. So next time you're in a corporate worship service, pay attention to see if these things are happening. It's healthy for, again, in the community, perhaps, and its leadership, certainly, to evaluate. Take a moment after a worship service or occasionally and just kind of process that. Talk about it. What did we experience? Um, why was that? What were, you know, what was happening in there? Would you judge this as a successful worship service or not? And why? You know, to kind of have that discussion and to, to get that on the table. And I, I think um, another thing that kind of pricks in my memory here, I recently was... Uh, was at a, uh, um, our daughter just recently finished Marine boot camp. And so we went to go uh, to see her graduation. And one of the things they did during Parents' Day was they, they brought all the new Marines in with pomp and circumstance, you know, and they've marched in and, and everything. And, and there's this building full of parents and relatives anxious to see our loved ones we haven't been able to communicate with for three months. And, and they started playing the Star Spangled Banner. Now, that music started playing, and they invited us all to join in and start singing. And I tried. I really did. <laughs> but I tried to start singing, Oh, Say Can You See, and I just broke up. I had an emotional experience in that moment. And it really, maybe it was the Holy Spirit. I don't know. But it certainly wasn't a worship service, <laughs> right? But my emotions were caught up in that moment. You know, that patriotic pride, my daughter's now a member of the military, uh, the dynamic there of, of, of all that full room and those people kind of all pulling in the same direction. And, and that was an emotional moment. Might have even been spiritual. 
but it almost certainly wasn't worship and wasn't Christ-centered. Mm-hmm. It was very, it was probably a very human, perhaps spiritual thing, but not really a worship thing. But you, but again, the emotions were engaged, mm-hmm. and uh, so we we need to be a little bit um, suspect, if you will, mm-hmm. of our emotions. And I think that's a good way of defining that, right? Is you can you you can have an emotional experience in a room like that, and you can have an emotional experience by going to name the your, a concert, you know, a, an, an artist that you enjoy right. singing. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that's what I like about your definition, right? Is it's got to be formative in Christ, and in some way bringing about or serving the kingdom of God. Yes. So I think you hit on something for leaders to really evaluate the way that they're doing worship services or you know putting these things together. So I thought we might uh, take a little avenue, <laughs> a trip down that avenue sure. to talk about what responsibility do you think leaders of the church have to ensuring that a worship service is, as you said, you said successful. And so my question is, is what makes a worship service successful? How would you evaluate that? I'm sure you've evaluated some, you know, through your years of ministry. So what are some of the questions and things that you guys would ask? Was this successful? Was it not? And what makes it so? That's a great question. And I think that's that really is something that each church, its leadership, needs to wrestle with. I mean, what is it we're here to do? And what do we describe as, as a successful worship service? I Unfortunately, some of the services I've been a part of, I think it might have been considered successful because everything stayed on schedule and the sound, we didn't have uh, feedback from the sound system and the words and the, and all that, that for, of the songs, they all showed up in time and everything, everything was all, we put on a good, we had a good, I hate to use the word, but performance. Okay. It was all in place. It was well done. It was maybe even a tad professional, uh, and, but is that successful? Certainly no one wants a catastrophe. We don't like squawking microphones and we like every, we like words to be there on time and we, we like people to sing on tune. All those things are, are not undesirable things, but that's not the point of worship, is it? The point of worship is that not that we have the stage doing its thing excellently while the audience are somewhat passive participants at best and, and at worst simply observers. But I believe that a successful worship service, if I were defining, would, would be, did the people of God participate? Did we all have a part in this thing? Or do, or did someone go home Sunday after church on Sunday and say, you know, I really wasn't needed, was I? You know, I think that's very important that we did I have a part in that and not in a selfish way. Mm-hmm. You don't want to think of it that way like was I on stage, but did my participation matter? Mm-hmm. That's hugely important. It, everything rises and falls on participation for me. It's it's all about the community and not about the stage. You know, mm-hmm. uh there was a re- we had a reformation about that what, 500 years ago now, (laughs) Mm -hmm. that took the faith, if you will, and the living out of the faith that wrested it from the clergy and gave it back to the laity. Mm -hmm. I wonder if sometimes in our worship services, we almost need to do a reformation of sorts and say, hey, let's give it back to the people. Mm -hmm. Do you think some of that falls on our song choices? 
as worship leaders and uh, leadership in the church. One of the quotes that I like that Francis Chan um, said in his book, Letters to the Churches, in, in his intro, is that when he went to plant his church, he wanted to make sure that they sang songs to God, <laughs> not necessarily about God, but to God. And and, and I think there's those, uh, at least in my observation, there's those uh, songs in those worship services where, I mean, it's a good song, and it, and it even sounds really nice. But then there's those other songs, man, and for whatever reason, it just sort of resonates throughout the church, and and you can just you can visibly see a difference in the people if you if you sort of step back and, and take a look. Of it evokes such a. Sometimes it is it is an emotional response, but I honestly think it's just an an earnestness of this is something I can really proclaim about or to God in this case. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, one of the things I've noticed time after time after time. Look, watch if you if you can if you're not too caught up in in yourself in those kinds of moments, when the church comes together and they begin to sing about the holiness of God, the worthiness of Jesus Christ, and it almost draws the worshiper into participation. It just lifts our soul. Um, so yeah, it has to do with the song uh, choices. Um, Again, if I think we've perhaps done ourselves disservice by borrowing perhaps too heavily from the pop worship idiom, because those are those are songs by their very nature that have been created to be performed and recorded, mm-hmm. and oftentimes they're very they're difficult for the average person to sing. So yes, we need to sing to God. I don't think it's bad occasion to sing about God as mm-hmm. long as it's clear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that we're singing about God. That's testifying yeah. to one another. In, in Reversing effect. the story. Exactly. And, and Tell the story. The, yeah. Exactly. Um, uh, but I, some things I'm really adamant about, and that is, can the average singer sing it? Mm. Um, because most men, quite frankly, aren't going to strain themselves to sing songs too high. So I think yeah. let's include the gentleman in our singing. I go, I go right. up and then I drop back down yeah. to oh, get the high parts. Oh, never <laughs> mind. You know, hey, I'll let the ladies sing this or the tenors. They're going to have to carry the, you know. But yeah, I think we can find a middle range in just about any song. If you can't, then then don't sing it. Mm-hmm. But find us find songs with keys that have a middle range that aren't too high and aren't too low mm-hmm. that everybody can sing because it's not about satisfying the the virtuoso performance it, it's about us participating uh, uh, words that hang with you I mean to me a test is does that song kind of get in your craw is is the melody simple enough and and but sophisticated enough that it hangs with you? You know, mm-hmm. that you catch yourself singing it from time to time. That it, It's one of those songs that gets in your head and, boy, I wish I could get that out, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, because it's just stuck there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the that's a sign of a really good worship song. Yeah. And it's, it's undervalued for what songs like, the role that songs like that can have in our lives for forming us, I, I think, throughout our day as we walk with Christ and and just that sort of creating an atmosphere of worship as we meditate on that song, but also for theologically as we, as it develops our mind. Yes. And, and that's been one of the key influencers of, I think of creeds, although they probably, like the early church probably wasn't singing creeds, but 
they were used to sort of form in the Christian's mind, this is who I am, especially when you're talking about preliterate societies where maybe everybody didn't have access to Scripture or they weren't able to read Scripture. Like even during the Catholic uh, Church age when it was very much clergy-driven, it was still – it was sort of spoon-fed to the people, and they either – rehearse those songs that they sang, and mm-hmm. that's what formed them, right? Yes. And so worship, Josh and I have, uh, we wrote a piece at some point, we're adamant about talking about why we need more worship leader theologians, yes. because it's such an undervalued area of our church life to say, oh, we slapped a song together and it, it sounds good, but man, what does it mean? Because if you have a song that's catchy and it means garbage, you're influencing a lot of people yes. with that garbage. Exactly. And I'm not saying that to disparage anybody. I'm saying that to to try to raise the bar as to the when we come to that that uh that duty of writing songs, I think it's a very high calling and and we, it's a unique calling. Not everybody can do that. Absolutely. The songs we sing disciple the church. There's no doubt about that. Uh, especially if you this two-part worship service that many evangelical churches do is basically half singing, half preaching. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. think about it, Pastor, right? Half of the service, you're not discipling. Mm. <laughs> the The music is, yeah, right? So, uh, and, and a song's going to stick with you longer throughout the week than a sermon. Well, you got that true. right. That's you were going to... I was discipled by the hymnody of the church I grew up in. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Um, because you do remember... So- I think this is the brilliance of hymns, and it's really so bad that too bad that we've thrown them away, it seems, because there you have, you've got in a hymnal a theologically considered collection of songs. Hymnals were essentially given to churches by their denominational fellowship leaders. They've gone through, they've been vetted by theologians and church leaders as these are songs worthy to be sung theologically as well as musically. Right, mm-hmm. so uh, we put our stamp our our stamp of approval on these songs, so they're theologically true. You would hope, <laughs> yeah. and and so week after week we w- would turn open that hymnal, turn to page so and so, and we would together read the words, sing the tune, and what are we doing simultaneously while we're worshiping God? Uh, we're doing so many different things. One is we're we're actually teaching our children how to read music. Go figure. Didn't know we were doing that, did we? Um, side note: Watch these reality shows. You know that the best singers and all that sort of stuff. Notice how many of them come from church backgrounds. Mm-hmm. That's not an accident. Mm-hmm. Okay, they learn to sing in church, <laughs> and uh, so we're teaching our children to worship God, to read music. And to couple the words with the experience of singing, and we're nailing those theological truths into the mind and the hearts of our families. It's just powerful, powerful. Uh, I, I still think we got to figure. I think even contemporary churches figure out a way to capture that dynamic again somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is an interesting challenge, and I like what. Um... Well, first, let me say, and you would agree, because we've, we've talked about this, just because it's a hymn doesn't mean that it's a good theological song, because there just are a lot of hymns that were written that are thrown out and excluded, and, yep. <laughs> and some that, after reviewing, we're like, eh, maybe not so much. Um, there was a movement for a little bit, 
I think about five years ago, maybe, where they tried to contemporize a lot of hymns. And so they tried to take the words and they put them to modern music and change some of the keys and stuff like that. And I really enjoyed like all the different versions of Amazing Grace. I haven't come across one that I don't (laughs) like yet. (laughs) Let me put it that way. And uh, some of them are really powerful. So yeah, I, I think... I think we still have a long way to go, and we have definitely not exhausted the resources that are currently out there that we can just continue to take and use to, to constantly form the church. Certainly. And, it, and I would just say, it's not really about style. You know, don't, I think too often we rush to, to the style question. Um, on, you know, should it be have a little beat? Should we use a worship band? You know, pipe organ? What's the thing? I, I think have that discussion, and you're going to come to a place. Uh, each church is going to have to come to a place and and be settled in that place. If you're going to be something, you're not going to be something else, and be okay with that. Mm. Okay, um, but uh, but it's not inherently. It's not about the style. So don't worry about that right off the bat. Mm. Uh, some people take exception to the con- the contemporizing of the older hymns. That's fine. Uh, I can I I got a little tolerance for that, you know, uh, within within reason. Uh, but uh, yeah, so what? I certainly would rather have my children singing a a version of Amazing Grace with a little beat than not singing it at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So that that's really what's important. I like that, and and it really. I think it underscores what you just said is uh, not worrying about style. You really should start with that question of what is the purpose of our worship service? Yes. And what do we want to see out of it? What does that success in a worship service look like? And start from there and, right. and, and build it out. So next time you're gathered together in the body of Christ, your particular gathering, I would like to challenge you to take Dr. DeGarmo's words to heart. How to have a successful worship service is all about our participation. Are you participating in your local congregation's worship service? And if you're not, I would like you to ask, why not? Is it because the songs aren't what you think they should be? Is it a heart issue? Or is it that the songs simply need to reflect a better theology? And don't just stop with the questions, take it a next step further. How can you get involved in your local body to change things. Because if what Dr. DeGarmo said is true, and that worship is the primary formational act of the church, this is an area we can't afford to neglect. Thanks for listening to the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. If you want to stay up to date with everything that's happening at Daily Growth, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. Or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.